So Jews have been famous for their involvement in finance for a very, very long time. All we have to do is think of big names like Goldman Sachs, which of course came from two nice Jewish boys um, who started the business. Um, we had Lehman Brothers, but that's long gone. Um, and of course, was also started by some Jewish boys. Um, and there were many other, of course, famous banks that, um, and financial institutions that were um, founded by Jews, um, many still around today, um, that were started by, uh, by Jews. And uh, of course, still today, um, Jews are very prominent within the financial world. Um, in the 19th century, Jewish banks in Europe dominated most of international finance. Um, most famously, the Rothschild family, which had the largest banking house or the largest <coughs> banking system um, in Europe and in the world at the time, the 19th century. Um, but there were dozens of other large Jewish financial, uh, Jewish banking houses or financial institutions um, across all the major cities of Europe um, uh, throughout the 19th century and into the 20th century. So now Jews have been really in finance for a very, very long time. In Europe, and really not only in Europe, also in the Middle East, um, in Syria, in Turkey, in North, North Africa, in Iran, Jews have always been um, involved in finance. They were the bankers, they were the money lenders, they were the money changers, the, um, the currency changers. Um, and now it's widely believed that the reason why Jews got so involved in finance was because there were few other professions open to them. In both Christian Europe and Arab um, or other Muslim lands, <coughs> Jews were generally forbidden from owning land, um, which mean, meant they couldn't really be involved in agriculture. Um, they also were kept at the guilds in many places, kept Jews out of different professions. You could only do, be part of a profession if you were licensed by the guild, and many guilds did not allow Jews to be part of that, their professions. So as a result... Money lending, finance, trade were the businesses open, was what was open to Jews. And so therefore, as a result, it's widely believed that Jews let, moved into finance. Also, Christians were forbidden from usury, which, is, which was generally defined as lending on very, very high interest. They were allowed to lend to each other on low interest rates, but not on very, very high interest rates. Muslims, too, were forbidden in Islam from lending to each other with interest. So that essentially led the, led, left the job of lending open to the Jews. And that is why, that is the common reason given as to why Jews historically have gotten into finance because there was no one else to do it and Jews were essentially kept out of other professions. However, recently historians have noted <coughs> excuse me, that those explanations are really inadequate <coughs> and not entirely correct. Because Jews were actually involved in finance and dominated finance long before they moved to Christian lands. Jews came to Christian lands in large numbers about the year 1,900, 1,000. Um, and definitely they were involved in finance and dominated finance and trade before Islam began in the early 600s. And even before Christianity at least became dominant in the late 200s, early 300s. Jews had been involved, Jew, Jew, Jewish involvement in finance um, predated um, <coughs> Christianity and Islam. In fact, <coughs> Jews moved into Europe 
first moving into Germany, France, later moving eastward into Eastern Europe as financiers, traders, and managers. In other words, they moved as um, Germany, France were developing, as, um, as um, they were being settled, nomadic tribes were settling. Jews moved in as the traders, as the financiers, as the managers. The same also happened in Eastern Europe. As Eastern Europe began to civilize, began to develop, Jews moved in, taking up the financial jobs and the trading and the business jobs um, within the, these areas. And the same also happened in the Islamic world. As the Muslims pushed um, out from, the, from Arabia, conquering the Persian Empire and then <coughs> moving, um, moving westward through across um, <coughs> North Africa, all the way into Spain, Jewish financiers and traders followed them. And Jews moved to these places um, often as financiers and often as managers, and that was often their original profession or the original communities built around trade before there were any rules or anti-Jewish laws. So we were in finance first and then moved to these places because of our finance and trade, and then later they, uh, then later we were forbidden from owning land and getting other jobs as well. In fact, when we lived originally in Babylonia and in the Persian Empire prior to the Islamic conquest, um, when we Jews were still agrarian, until the 600s, we Jews were mostly agrarian. We were mostly <coughs> farmers. And even before that, before the Roman wars, in um, that, the one that destroyed the, temp, the temple in the 60s um, and in the early 100s, and before the Roman wars when Jews were agrarian in the land of Israel, we also were very into finance. And we had already developed as, as early as 2,000 years ago, we already had, were involved in trade, in international trade, bringing things, and we know that there were Jewish trading posts all across what was the Silk Route and the Spice Routes. There were trading, Jewish trading posts um, all across these areas. We were involved in trade from early times. And we, always, we also always had sophisticated financial terms. In fact, looking at early Jewish books of law, such as the Talmud and the Mishnah and other early books, we have laws involving governing Jewish finance, and they touch on things that we would consider modern financial tools, such as insurance, securities, resale of loans, futures trading, and those, all these different kinds of financial tools were, we were already using 2,000 years ago. So we've been in finance and been using all these tools for a very, very long time. And in fact, um, there's evidence that much of the rest of the world and trade throughout the world, throughout the civilized world, was facilitated by many people, mostly led by Jews throughout most of the last 2,000 years, facilitated most trade. And that's because you really... For trade to move from place to place, it really requires some form of finance. In other words, if you're going to bring in silk from China, somebody's got to get money to China to pay for that silk. 
And somebody's got to figure out a way to bring it over the Silk Route all the way to wherever the trading posts or wherever it's going to get to. How are you going to pay for it? Who's going to risk their money? You could get caught. There could be bandits on the way. Um, other things could happen. There was high risk, some of this stuff. How are you going to find? Who's going to pay for it? How are you going to do it? Even basic farming requires finance. Who's going to pay for the seed? Who's going to pay for the farming tools? Who's going to pay for the farmer to live and to eat while they're waiting for their crops to grow? What if you have a bad year and the crops don't grow one year? Or what if there's a... Um, what if there's um, some sort of disease? The crops die. The farmer, what does the farmer do? So finance, whether insurance, whether futures, was always needed throughout history. It was always used throughout history. And it was a business, or it was business, that we Jews were always heavily involved in. <clears throat> a recent, so how did Jews get involved in it? There are different theories as to why Jews were so successful and so ahead of their time when it came to finance. A recent groundbreaking, uh, a recent groundbreaking book um, called The Chosen Few um, offers some theories, actually goes through and proves that Jews have been involved in finance from the earliest times and actually brought finance um, wherever they went and suggested that um, some of the things that may have attributed to Jewish ability to um, deal fi in finance and to dominate finance was first we had a very strong rule of law. We had our own legal system, halacha, which was fairly sophisticated. Jews were answerable to this within their Jewish community, this rule of law. Rule of law, of course, is central to any financial trade because if there's no rule of law, everyone does what they want. We had court systems and we also had today um, most major companies are based in Delaware. Why are most major companies based in Delaware? So part of it's taxes, but a big part of it is that Delaware has the most sophisticated financial law of any state. So it's a lot easier to do business if you have very clear laws on the books. In fact, in Delaware, there's a whole separate judicial system just for financial law. So when you have a sophisticated body of law, it's a lot easier to do business with that. Um, it's a lot easier to do business in knowing what to expect. We had a very sophisticated body of financial law, which made it very easy for Jews to do business and be able to write contracts and know that those contracts would be enforceable. Um, furthermore, Jews throughout our history were always universally literate. We had a universal literacy. Um, at least all Jewish males um, learned to read. Um, so we learned basic literacy. We learned basic numbers. We knew how to do basic arithmetic. And so it definitely helps if you know how to read. You can't write a contract and you can't um, sign a contract if you don't know what you're signing, you don't know what you're, you don't know how to read and write. So, and then another reason um, why Jews were successful is because we were very spread out, and this goes back even to before our um, exile, even before the destruction of the Second Temple, we were very spread out. Uh, we had a common language, Hebrew, and we were able, we had a common kinship, and so Jewish communities were able to trade with each other, and we had a trust and common language which allowed us to trade with each other. So these are at least some of the theories as to why Jews were very successful in finance and really dominated a lot of both trade and finance throughout much of, um, to, throughout much of our history. Throughout much of history. So while all this might be true, 
I believe there's also another very powerful reason why we Jews succeeded in finance and succeeded in a way that really no other people did. Um, and we really uh, managed to um, dominate trade and finance um, throughout much of the past 2,000 years, throughout much of the world. So to understand what made us unique, And to understand what made us unique, we have to go back to the law that we mentioned earlier. The Torah forbids Jews to lend to each other on interest. We're not allowed to lend using interest. Now the Torah does command us to give each other loans. We have to lend to each other. But we cannot lend with interest. They have to be what's called free loans. Loans without interest. Now free loans are not a form of business, because you're not making any money. It's not an investment. It's rather a form of charity. In fact, loans in Judaism, in Jewish values, is the greatest form of charity. Because if you just give someone money, they're going to spend it. If you lend someone money, then you are now giving them the responsibility to pay back. You can't spend it. They need to invest it whether invest in learning a trade, whether invested in building a business, they need to invest it because they need to pay back. When you give someone money, you're not going to get them back on their own feet. When you lend someone money, you can then get them back on their own feet. And so therefore, lending is the best way to give charity. And the ideal way, free loans that is, lending someone money is the best way to give charity. With interest, that destroys the value of the loan. Why? What happens with interest is you, the loan keeps growing and it becomes harder and harder and harder to pay it back. One of the Hebrew terms for interest, there's two Hebrew terms, is neshef, which means biting. It keeps biting. It keeps taking out. It keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And um, you borrow one amount, you end up paying back double over the the time of the loan. You end up paying back much more. For somebody who's struggling to pay it back, it becomes even harder. You get stuck in debt. And so that only happens if there's interest. If there's no interest, the loan stays the same and you can gradually pay it off. So therefore, the greatest form of charity is to lend on interest. And indeed, we Jews have done, uh, sorry, lend without interest. And we Jews have done this throughout our history. We have both personally lent to other Jews without interest to help them get on their feet, to help them learn a trade, to help them build a business. And every Jewish community also throughout our history had a free loan society. The free loan society was called in Hebrew uh, by the, an acronym, Gemach. Gemach is an acronym for Gemilas Chesed. Gemilas Chesed means giving kindness because it's the greatest form of kindness. So every community had a Gemach or a free loan fund and people were able to... Um, People were able to um, who were able to borrow and build businesses, and um, this was at least part of the reason for Jewish success <laughs> was our ability of being able to get started on our feet by borrowing. And in fact, many great Jewish businesses today. And um, I once heard from somebody who's a very successful um, real estate, um, who's a very successful real estate. Um, 
not bro, uh, owns a lot of real estate um, investor, investor um, and owns a lot of property that he got his start from a um, free interest fund that lent him money and uh, kept coming back to them and uh, eventually um, he managed to grow. And a lot of Jewish businesses started that way um, through free loan funds. There's actually a free loan fund here in Los Angeles yeah. as well um, run by the Federation. And Jewish communities historically have always had these free loan funds to help us get on their feet. So loans have always been charity, and they were never used as a means of business, though. That's not how you make money. Now, there is a prohibition, though, for Jews to lend each other on interest. We cannot use interest as a form of lending on interest as a form of business. So the prohibition is, though, only for Jews to lend to their fellow Jews on interest. There was a rabbinic prohibition for Jews to lend to non-Jews as well. So Jews generally should not lend to non-Jews on interest, and we should only give them free loans. In play, times and places where Jews had no other, form of, um, no other form of income other than lending to non-Jews on interest, when we were stuck, we were in um, what's called a shat hatchak, in an extreme situation where we had no other option, we were allowed to lend to non-Jews on interest to be able to learn, earn a living. And we did. We did throughout our, much of our history. Now, Jews are gen were generally blamed throughout much of our history for usury, or charging exorbitantly high interest. And we've often been stereotyped as money-hungry lenders taking advantage of non-Jews, and that's the way that anti-Semites have stereotyped Jews for many, many years, and they still do, by the way. There's still a lot of anti-Semitism out there, um, as we've discovered, unfortunately, the hard way recently. Um, and it's thriving online and growing, and um, they still keep all those stereotypes, but one of them is Jews as the money lenders. Now, while Jews did lend money, there's no question about it, and almost certainly there were. Jews come in all shapes and sizes, just like every other people. And uh, there almost certainly were Jews that were not all that ethical uh, and that probably took advantage of people. Um, it is not true for Jews on a whole. And in fact, although we did lend money, that is not much of what we did. Most of what we did in finance did not involve lending money. In fact, most of, finance, most of Jewish finance didn't involve lending at all. After all, Jews were in finance. If you want to be able to lend money out, say you're a banker, you're the local money lender, which is just another way of saying you're the local bank, and you're going to be lending out money, right? You also need to take in money, take in money right? Okay, so you get accounts. People are going to, say, deposit money, which you'll then pay them in return. But small accounts aren't going to do it. You're going to have to take in large amounts of money for that you need to borrow from someone else, right? Banks are always borrowing from other banks. So essentially, there's the, what they call today, business-to-customer lending. But then, for fin finance to work, there's even more business-to-business -business lending. All the banks are lending each other and are all working with each other. And then there's banks that just lend, investment banks, that only lend to other banks um, or to other financial institutions. And then we have government banks, such as Federal Reserve banks, that lend to financial institutions. So there is a whole what we call financial system. Now, for any finance to work, 
effectively, you need essentially a financial system. It's, you can't just have a local guy taking in money from local people and then lending it out because you can in theory, but that's not usually how it works. You need money to be lent from banks to banks, from investors. So Jews had to transfer money from each other. They were all the bankers, or at least many of them. They were doing business mostly, not the business, not the business to customer, but most of the business is business to business. Most of what they were doing was borrowing from each other. But they couldn't lend on interest. So how then did we do it? And we know we Jews had complex financial systems running across Europe. Um, and description, um, descriptions of Jewish finance throughout much of our history involves Jewish financial relationships um, all across Europe where Jewish um, financiers of different um, stripes were lending money to other Jewish financiers. In fact, um, in Gluckel of Hamelin, which is a, um, a diary of a Jewish businesswoman from the uh, 17th century, um, she records how um, when the Jewish... Um, when, when the Jewish treasurer of Austria, um, whose name was Samson Wertheimer, was arrested by the Austrian crown, he, had, he was at the time the biggest banker in Europe. When he was arrested um, by the crown, it led to a financial crisis across Europe. Right? It's the equivalent of the government coming in and closing down the biggest bank or freezing the biggest bank. That would lead to a financial crisis across the entire banking sector because everyone has each other's money. And you've got to then unravel where is all their money found, right? Where have they lent money to? Who has lent money to them, right? If that whole thing comes apart. So, so and we, we had that, inter, uh, that financial interaction both in Europe and throughout the world, throughout much of our history. So how do we do it? How did Jews do finance throughout history? without lending to others. We could lend non-Jews on interest in extreme circumstances when we absolutely needed to, but how do we finance each other? So, so what Jews did throughout our history, we did not use loans. We invested. We didn't use loans. When we, for our financial interactions, we invested. When Jews needed money to import goods, whether import silk from China or spices from India or um, people in the south in southern Europe or in the Middle East needed to import wood from the north, northern Europe, um, where there are forests, or people from the north needed to import, say, grapes, wine from the south where it grows, and many things that are only available in one place and need to be imported and exported. And throughout history, of course, we've had extensive importing and exporting. Well, you need money to pay for it. How are you going to pay for it? So they invested. They got many investors. You wouldn't want to put all your money in one import or in one export because especially with pirates and bandits and who knows what other problems you end up having, you put all your money on one ship you could get into, you could lose everything. So you would get investors. You would get many <coughs> investors to invest in it. 
when they wanted it's a high risk invest investment when you need to fund when the local noble needs to fund his war with the with the prince next door um, it's a high risk investment he could win or lose right so you need to find multiple investors um, to invest in that when the nobles need to invest in need farming and they need to be able to pay their serfs and they need to be able to pay for equipment and they need to be able to pay for seed again high risk investment um, you where do you get the money from you find other investments investors sometimes you need to sometimes you need you want to mitigate the risk well you get it insured who's going to um, guarantee that insurance one person guarantees it they risk losing everything right so you spread the pool and you get investors so Jews developed finance on the principle of investment not loans it was all about investment we got investors to invest their money which they got in turn from other investors which they got in turn often from other investors creating this great financial chain um, but it was all money being invested not money being lent in fact in Talmudic times we had a standard if someone wanted to do a business deal and uh, wanted had say they want to import something they want to export something they wanted to buy goods from one town and sell it somewhere else they wanted to they had a deal that they wanted to do and they needed finance they needed to finance it what they would do is they would go to a person or individuals and the standard that what they would do is when the individuals would give them a sum a lump sum of money to cover the investment and then what it was usually a 50-50 deal 50% of the investment was a free loan the free loan had to be paid back in its entirety the other 50% of the investment was an investment which and now of this deal investors own 50% and the businessman owned the other 50% which meant that they would split the profits 50-50 and then they would also split the risk 50-50 in other words 50% of the investment had to be returned regardless of whether it failed or succeeded the other 50% the investors were risking losing so that was a standard practice in Talmudic times the way business deals were done with this 50-50 or was the Hebrew term for it um, there's a, some catches to it because the businessmen have to, actually had to be paid for the work separately um, so that the loan be truly free and um, there was some complexity as to how it was done but that was a standard as to how investment was done in Talmudic times and so that's really how we built business we built business not by loans not giving out loans with interest but really although we did lend free loans but we did it through investment through investment through insuring through securing um, securities meaning um, lending money but securing it with something else and so um, and so we had these complex and sometimes they were very complicated insurances can be somewhat complicated especially when you resell insurance you resell the risk to others you want to mitigate the risk um, you one person purchases the insurance and then sells it to 10 people so that they all split the risk between them so we came up with these complex investment um, ideas in order this is going back 2,000 years in order to um, trade in order to um, finance things using Jewish ingenuity 
and creative financing, which we were always very good at. We came up with very creative ways of financing different things. Uh, we figured out ways to actually structure investments so they looked very much like loans and were almost indistinguishable from loans. So an investor wanted to protect their capital. So you invest money in a deal, but you want to protect your capital. When you lend money, your capital is guaranteed. The person has to give it back to you, unless they go bankrupt. And Judaism didn't have bankruptcy. So, um, so, you, had, so you want to protect your capital. If it's an investment, how do you protect your capital? Well, you could insure the investment. In other words, someone can guarantee they will buy, or buy the risk from you that if you lose the money, they will guarantee to pay you, right? They can buy the risk. So you can insure the investment. Now you know you're going to get paid back by that insurance. What you can even do is you can have the businessman that took the investment provide the insurance. So they're essentially guaranteeing to pay you back. It's not a loan, though. It's an investment where they're guaranteeing the insurance. Another more commonly used option was essentially to refuse all evidence of a loss. When you write a contract with someone, you have the freedom to structure the contract of the deal as you wish. There's a lot of freedom in writing contracts. If you agree a contract between two people, you could contract it however you want. One of the things that you can include in contract is the evidence, or today often how, if there is a dispute, how the dispute will be resolved. Often people have arbitration agreements or specific um, rules as to how to resolve specific disputes. So in dispute resolution part of the contract, you can also include what sort of evidence can be used in any future dispute. So what they would do is they would write contracts saying that in order for the businessman who took the investment to prove the loss, they will need a very, very high level of proof, an extremely high level of proof in order to prove the loss. Sometimes they, you say they need two witnesses, or what they would even do is they would say you would need so-and-so, A and B, these two people are going to be the only people who would be trusted to testify that you, had a, that you truly had a loss. Now, so-and-so are not involved in the investment. So they ha will have no way of knowing whether you really had a loss. They'll have no way of testifying. So effectively, you've cut out any ability to prove your loss. If you cannot prove the loss, you would be forced to pay back the investment. They then took it a step further. The investor wants a predictable return, right? Similar to what interest on a loan. <clears throat> so what you can do is you can write the contract where you are putting in this investment and the contract, the investment is going to have expected returns. In other words, we are expecting at the time of the contract this amount return every month on the investment. Specific amount. Now, the, then you can place the burden on the businessman to provide evidence if profits are any less than the amount stipulated. And then you can make that burden of proof very high. 
making it very hard for them to prove otherwise, effectively requiring them to give a set amount of the expected profits, which makes it look extremely, very much like a loan and interest, only that it is not. This system, these kind of investments that look like loans, but are investments, are called heter iska, which essentially means um, literally um, a permitted business, or what we can call turning a loan, what is effectively a loan, into a legal investment. And so we have used these terms. Um, it looks like a loan, but it is um, technically an investment. So it kind of feels like a workaround, right? It feels like we're playing games. Um, we don't allow for loans. We do allow for investments. We can, using a little creativity, we can structure loans to look exactly, uh, sorry, structure investments to look exactly like loans. And in fact, Jewish businesses that do loans and banks today in Israel all use heter iska, any contract with a bank, you take out a mortgage with a bank in Israel, it will look very much like a heter iska. It will have a heter iska contract in it, and it will look, it will be this investment loan lookalike um, that you will be getting. So it seems wrong, though. If God doesn't want interest, it shouldn't be okay, regardless of how you word it. Right? We shouldn't just be able to get around the law by using loopholes. So firstly, this should be clear. Heter Iska only works for a business investment. Someone who's using borrowing money to spend cannot use a Heter Iska. It can only work if it's a real business investment. It can, in theory, work to buy a house, and it is used to buy houses, if the house is made into an investment. How do you make a house that you've purchased into an investment. Well, the house, the purchasing of the house, can be a business that the bank, the investor, is putting money into this business. How do houses earn money? Well, whoever's living in the house pays rent, right? So it could be the business person or the person, execute, the executor <coughs> could be the one living in the house paying rent, but that's the profit on the business. And then they can gradually be paying the bank's portion of the rent together with the, um, uh, the bank's portion of the rent every month, along with a gradual amount that they are buying away the bank's share of the business or paying back the investment um, over time. So essentially looks like a mortgage, but it's not. It's essentially an investment. So, but just borrowing money to spend, you cannot use a heter iska. So, but, the bank, but it is not a loan. The bank has not lent you money. If you decide to walk away from the home in theory, say you're underwater, and um, today they have, um, um, where you could just, where, where the um, foreclosure and the bank forecloses on the home, they haven't, you haven't failed to pay back. It's simply a soured investment, right? For the bank. It applies to lenders and borrowers when borrowing from Jewish banks. If the bank is not Jewish owned, halachically you don't have a problem to borrow from a regular bank or putting money in a regular bank. So, and we, we do that. 
But when doing it with Jewish banks, the way Jews historically did business was through the heteriska system. In Israel, where all the banks are Jewish owned, they use the heteriska system. So how do they make their money? So, well, they, they're getting extra money. They're getting interest. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's called rent. It's, not called, it's called profit. Oh. It's not called interest. They're getting a, they are getting certain percentages profit. They're getting percentage of the profit. Exactly. So the difference might sound more like a difference in wording of the contract. But so why, why does it help? How does it help? You're essentially doing the same thing. What we've done is we're changing, we're making what is almost the same thing. It looks very similar in reality and what the lender is getting, what the investor is getting. It's only using different words, right? It seems like semantics, but it's really not. Because there's a crucial underlying value that differentiates the two. Why does the Torah prohibit interest? Why are we forbidden from lending money on interest? So the Talmud describes it as agar natar le. You are paying someone to essentially hold their money. When you borrow money on interest, basically, what, or if I lend you money on interest, what I'm telling you is, this is my money. If you want to hold on to this money, you've got to pay me for the right to use my money. So I'm essentially renting out my money. That's essentially what interest is. Now, we believe that everything belongs to God. And God gives you things to use. So you have no right to charge somebody else for the money that God gave you. If they need it and you have the money to provide them, lend it to them. Help them. But you have no right to make money off the fact that God gave you money. You don't have the right, if God gave you money, you don't have the right to give it to somebody else and say, because I'm giving you my money to spend, you have to pay rent on my money because it's not my money. It's really God's money. So you don't have the right to charge interest on a loan. What you do have the right to do is to invest. When you are investing, you're not collecting money for the right for someone else to hold your money. It's not that you're charging someone rent for your money. What you're doing is you are taking risk. You have a stake in whatever they are doing. If you give money, someone money in an investment, it is your investment. This is your money being spent on this thing, on this business deal. It is in your interest that that business deal makes money. It is your risk. It is your investment. You are invested in it. So in Judaism, we don't just give people money, walk away and say, pay me rent. Rather, or interest. Rather, what we do is we invest in others. We use our resource to help them, taking responsibility for what they're doing, uh, being actively involved or invested in what they're doing. Lending, in theory, absolves the lender of any responsibility of what the borrower does with the money. I lend you money, you do what you like with it. It's your money now. You just have to pay me for it. It absolves the lender of any responsibility of what happens. Investment means the investor needs to stay involved and responsible for whatever their fellow is doing. They're invested in the business. Torah doesn't allow us to make money on money or to rent out money. 
doesn't allow us to charge to um, charge interest. Torah does encourage us very much so to invest in others. And throughout history, more than lending, we invested. We did have free loans, but generally Jewish finance was always built around the principle of investing. We invested in each other. We took investments from each other. We pulled money <coughs> together to help mitigate risks. If you don't want to lose all your money on a single investment, you pull your money together. You insure it. You then bring in multiple insurers, multiple people that purchase that insurance, um, who can then, that way, they mitigate the risk. Everyone only takes a little bit of risk. Lots of people insure lots of different things. That way, if they lose some in one place, they will win somewhere else. So, uh, so, we can, so we can mitigate risk. But this is all investment. We have always had this very strong value on the investment and investing in each other. And therefore, it is likely that our belief in the value of investing, not lending, walking away, saying, here money, here's, here's the money, go do what you need to do with it, but investing in other people, um, investing in other people's deals, investing in other people's businesses. And we were all deeply invested in each other all the time. And every Jewish community, everyone was invested in everyone else. And Jewish communities across the world were all invested in each other. Being invested in each other, we took interest in each other. And we took interest in each other to succeed. We helped each other. We made sure that our businesses were succeeding because we were invested. And so I believe that a big part of the Jewish entrepreneurial ethic and the Jewish financial ethic that has let us thrive and be the financial um, backbone of much of modern civilization has been our principal value of not lending but investing, being invested in everything. And our value of investment really reflects our relationship with God. God placed us here on earth for a purpose. To make this world more godly. That is our goal. We were put on this world to make this world a more godly place. We believe that God didn't just give us a job and say, go do it. God was pers is personally invested in everything we do. God cares about us. God watches us every step of the way and takes care of us to ensure that we have everything that we need to follow through on our mission. He doesn't just say, go do it and walk away. And we Jews have had that value as well. When we want something done, we never say, go do it and walk away. When someone wants to own, open a business, we don't say, here's money and walk away. We're invested in them. We're actively involved. And it's not just the word, but it's the concept. It's the ethic. The ethic of investment. We're actively involved in what they're doing. We're taking active interest in everything they're doing. Uh, we're taking act, active interest in how they're doing it. And so whatever we're involved in, the Jewish ethic has been not to lend and walk away, but to invest, to take interest in what's being done. And if we lived in this world with that Jewish ethic, where everyone was invested in each other, we all took interest in each other, we all took an investment in what others are doing, we didn't just help people and say, here, and now you take, you're on your own, but we actually helped each other throughout and walked each other through and invested in each other, in each other our world would then be a much, much better place.